We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. As always, stay tuned to the end of the show, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for all the ratings and reviews. Thanks for the tweets. Thanks for the retweets. And if you want to leave a rating and review, please, please do on Apple and Spotify. I really appreciate it. So thank you in advance for that. Now, on to my guest for today, Zach Stern, founder of Official, a different kind of quote-unquote dating app. Zach started working in the world of venture capital while still a college student at NYU. He was promoted to associate after he graduated and also started investing on his own. A chance conversation allowed him the opportunity to share his idea for a new kind of dating app. And that's what official was. And it's literally just launched. Even though he's young, Zach has a lot of insights to offer as a venture capitalist. So if you're interested, you definitely need to check out this conversation. Zach's idea for official started with a desire to gamify dating apps and to also serve people already in relationships. The main problem with dating apps, he explains, is that once someone has found someone, they don't need the app any longer. He wanted to create something for people that were already in relationships. The app provides a way for couples to deepen their connections, providing ways for them to come up with things to do, communicate better, and build a community as a couple. What started out as an idea in a literal pitch deck on his computer has taken off in a big way. The beta launch, for example, completely shut down all their servers. So he had something going on, right? Now, Let's get better together. Zach Stern, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. And I know you just had, you know, some challenges yesterday, which we won't get into, but I'm glad that you are seeing 
like you're doing well and we just got to know each other and talked a little bit. So I'm very happy that, you know, things are moving for you guys over at official, which you're the founder of, which we will talk a ton about. I'm really fascinated on this because what official does, and I'll let you explain it cause I'll butcher it, but I've seen this sort of stuff in the past and I just, I would love nothing more than that, you know, like how this, you know, how it shakes out with you. And the reason why it's even cooler is because you like launched yesterday, which it's is like, it's new. It's, it's like out of the oven, you know, like that's what I mean by like. It's fresh. Yeah. You seem very well rested for something launching yesterday. <laughs> it must be just, it's so, this is the best. Oh, I'm so happy to like dig into this. But uh, before we talk about that, as I always like to say, why don't you tell us how you got to do what you're doing today? I'd love to. So if you asked me a year ago, two years ago, probably about two years ago, if I thought I would be focusing on relationships, I would have laughed. Uh, two years ago, I was at that time a senior in college. I was at NYU Stern, lucky enough that the last names matched, but wasn't related. <laughs> so like, I was able to take- Darn, I got to go to school. <laughs> well, the slogan is, I am Stern. So it was something that's really easy for me. So I was able to be class president every year that I was there, basically, because, you know, when the slogans, I am stern, I can just go, I am stern, both metaphorically and physically. And no one can question. That. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. You're that was like fun. Flynn. You're in like Flynn. So I started out in venture capital, uh, started my sophomore year. Then I did it again my junior year, then my senior year. My senior year, I was actually an analyst working full time and then taking night classes. And then when I graduated college, uh, it was during the pandemic, I was working from home, but I was promoted to associate. At that same time, I started my own kind of investing syndicate and was investing on the side. And then kind of when I was looking at that, one day I was talking to someone about a deal and he goes, okay, don't like the deal. I'm like, totally fine. He goes, I have another 10 minutes. What would you work on if you weren't in VC? And I sat back and I had this idea. And it was something that I built about five months ago, the very basics of. So I had a deck made out. I had a model built out, had a terrible name at the time, but I showed it to him. And he's wow. like, this is something. So the, the basic concept in the beginning was I wanted a gamify relationship because I realized that dating apps didn't make sense because churn is something that is major in any business except in a dating app. Because when you're both the actual user, but you're also the product, Churn means nothing because when they match you with someone, you churn. When one of their competitors does the same thing because the average dating app user is on over two dating apps, you churn. When it happens at work, school, friends, family, you churn. When they do a bad time, you churn. So I'm like, okay, churn is not a good metric here. But at the same time, what I realized, if churn's a bad metric, then that means that the incentives aren't aligned. So if you're the user, if you get what you want, the dating app loses because you're no longer a customer and vice versa. So I'm like, how do I focus on switching that around and removing that and making my incentive match up with now my user? So that's kind of where official came out to be was I wanted to align the incentives. So when my user has a good relationship, I have a good customer. When I have a good customer, they have a good relationship. And that's kind of the basic framework on how we got to official. And literally no joke, you had a deck ready. You were like this thing on the side and it just so happened. Somebody's like asked you the question. <laughs> it was May, it was May 9th that, that I had this call. I, I remember it vividly. And I made the deck on January 3rd. 
of the previous year. So this, this was last year. So January 3rd is when I had the idea. It was something where I built out the deck. I really kind of thought it was interesting. And then I put it to sleep because I was working full-time at a VC, you know, it's a VC. I'm not going to leave VC so young just to go try to kind of like do something on my own. Uh, and then eventually I did. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I love that because what's super interesting about, you know, your process and what you went through is that, so you had an idea, you, you kind of went through it and you got it to a point where you're like, this is interesting, but I can't focus on it right now. I am going to park it, put it aside. Um, this is a really important point that I would love to get more thoughts from you on because I, I do this all the time. I've got all these ideas and then I take yeah. them and then I park them. I take my park. But what's, what, what I've found is that all these ideas and all these things I'm working on, they layer. So I'm building a skill and this skill stack could be like for podcasting is a great example. Like, you know, I had an idea for a podcast company. Then I did some work and I'm like, ah, eh, that's not going to happen. That's, that's too, it's too weird. But there was a skill set I developed in machine learning as just as an example, that machine learning skill set applies to something else I'm working on called the story funnel. So were there, there's some, I mean, you're relatively young, so I don't know if you could like kind of stack scaffold up all these skills, but, but what's really cool is like, I don't think this is done enough. I think everyone's like, I got to have a great idea. And then I just got to go with it until I fall off the cliff. And from your venture capital experience, you know, how many deals did you see during your short career as a venture capitalist? Like you see a ton of deals. You oh, just I saw over of, a thousand of deals. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. And it's nothing to do with they're not good or they're no. bad. There's a, there's a bar and you're like, I'm looking for a certain thing. And if it's over the bar, great. If it's not, sorry, you know, move on. So how did your venture capital experience roll into what you're doing at official? And then how do you have any other kind of ideas like this that, that you could, you don't have to talk All about right. them, but I mean, do you have this sort of process now in your mind? Yeah, no. So I, I have this first, so I'll talk about the process first and then we'll go into kind of my venture days. So I, I've been doing this kind of thing for a while. I have just a folder on my computer of a bunch of different decks. I won't make a model for all of them just because that kind of takes a little bit more time, but I'll make a, a basic pitch deck for all of the, the ideas that I think make a lot of sense. A pitch deck, one pager. So I've worked on a bunch of things from a college subscription box kind of to a secretary app to trying to decentralize VC. So I, I've really to kind of run the gambit on just different concepts. And what I realized and it was something that kind of pushed me forward with official was when I was in high school. So it was a time where I worked on a, a water bottle and the basic premise of it was it used UVC light to kill back bacteria. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I was really, really into. I loved it. I built it in such a way. I was working on a way to get it in the cap. It was rechargeable. It would be charged by motors. So when you kind of shook it, it was more like a watch where it would wind itself. Yeah. And then one day I'm like, okay, this is too hard. And I stopped. And my, I want to say my freshman year of college, the Lark water bottle came out and it was almost identical to what I designed. Yeah. And it was something where I'm like, okay, this sucks because I knew <laughs> I could have done it. And the well, same thing happened true. again and again. Yeah, and, and I would say that's something that a lot of people don't talk about is it's a lot of the time where you start an idea and you park it. There's ne there's never a right time to unpark it per se, mm. but if you have a catalyst, it makes sense to really just kind of get it going. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. 
Because I've had that experience too, where I've thought of something, wrote it down, and then a couple of years later saw it. In fact, there was a, one company, um, like nowadays, like Apple in their phone has something called ultra wideband. I don't know if you familiar with, with how Apple does like their little tags, the little, uh, oh, yeah. what are they called? I tag yep. super, uh, original name. <laughs> right? Yeah. So the, I tag. I the yeah, I just added I to anything, right. The Iraq, the I tag anyway. So, uh, but how they do, um, how they triangulate and how they find these things. Um, you can do it with a bunch of radio wave stuff, but there's this, this technique and this radio um, kind of protocol on air protocol called ultra wideband, which is basically pulses of energy. And I was working on this like 10 years ago, like long time ago, which was just super hard. And it was for military and it was to like find the resolution of like people in a bill. It's just wacky shit. Right. But then all of a sudden now every phone's got this ultra wideband <laughs> fi on it. I'm like, ah, shit, I should have kept on going. Yeah. But you know, that wasn't, that wasn't to be, but so interesting. So you have like decks and models. So how, do you, so if you have an idea, I mean, you're, are, can you, I mean, are you technical? Can you like code or like you said, you were building a little, that little bottle thing. Is this, yeah. are you just, so, yeah. How, how do you, how do you go through that process? Uh, fine. I'm so I, I guess trained in finance. So I studied finance management uh, in high school. I kind of just learned it all myself. I bought myself a welding kit. I bought myself kind of soldering kit, went on Alibaba, found 260 nanometer lights, wired it all together, got some kind of rinky dink stuff and made it. So it's one of those things where I just kind of like to play around and I like to do it myself. I'm not technical. Uh, so I'm not the technical part of the team, but I know a decent amount at this point. Like I can tell you when I look at the phone, I can write a bug report. I can do all these things, but I couldn't code it per se. So that, that's been hard, but it's been something that kind of you learn over time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to, so interesting because clearly you're good at idea analysis. You know, this is the process. I mean, that, I, I think that's one thing that a lot of tech founders don't really truly appreciate is you can have thousands of different ideas, but you need to make sure they're a business. So it could be really cool tech. Again, yeah. my I'm totally guilty of this. Oh, I'm working on this really cool tech thing, but no one wants to buy, right? Or I'm solving a problem that doesn't exist yet. Classic problem with yeah. tech founders. So how do you go about like validating some of this stuff? I mean, I think I find this very fascinating, especially given that, you know, you have a VC background. My guess is, there's got to be some, are there some mental models in your head or what, what, what's that process look like? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs need to do more of this. Yeah. Uh, I would say two, two segments of mental models. One, the validation to the convincing yourself that it makes sense. So on the validation side, it's really about doing research. And the biggest flaw I see in a lot of entrepreneurs is the fact that they think their idea is truly original and that there's no competitors. Mm. And I would say, if you look hard enough, and if you look long enough, you will find someone that does something like you. The biggest thing and the biggest red flag that I see, or that I did see as a VC was when someone would say, I have no competitors. I'm the only one on the market. Yeah. Because if that's how you're thinking, you might not have kind of a direct competitor. But if you look at a perfect example would be Netflix. Netflix said sleeping was one of their competitors. And it's true because it's anything in their space that you're using your time on. So it's really about really thinking about 
who your competitors are, direct and indirect, I would say that's the first one in validating if it makes sense. It can be a good thing or a bad thing to find a competitor because it could show, hey, this is a business. This is something that I can go down or it shows that the market's too saturated. Mm. Continuing off that, it's just making sure that basic unit economics makes sense. So if you're selling something for $10, but it costs you 15 to build, you know, it doesn't make sense. And that, that's, that's, where the 2000, of, that's the 2000 model. That's the whole, we'll make it up on volume that I lived through. <laughs> total exactly. Total Which is like, you, you got to really think, even if you're making it up on volume, you got to have a lot of money in inventory to make that work. Or right. you need to have a lot of money in time to build it and code it the right way. Right, right, right. So I would say those are the, the two biggest hurdles that a lot of people fall into. And the last one I would say is really marketing mm-hmm. and making sure that there is a market for your product. So when I started official, it was something where we had it under a different name. We had it under a slightly different idea. And I went to about 30 different couples that either I knew or didn't know age 18 to 60 all across the U.S., different sexual orientations, socioeconomic backgrounds. And I asked them a bunch of different questions about the relationship and about what they wanted. Mm. And that's how I got the validation for what I was doing. And honestly, I still kind of struggle with it at times because even though officials launched and we've done some incredible work, it's hard hearing a VC tell you, you have no market again and again and again. And this was something that was difficult. We're lucky. So we launched our beta back in February and with one TikTok that went out, we got 25,000 downloads. So it was something where- One (laughs) TikTok? One TikTok. Exactly. So I'm like, yeah, no, I think we have a market. Like, yeah, yeah, this is yeah, one yeah, video. I yeah, think yeah. people like uh, this. Yeah, I think you know. So it's funny because that's like almost like uh, I I used to get that all the time when I would pitch VC. I mean, in in, yeah. in, in over time you learn, and 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 this this is a hard thing for first time founders and even multiple time founders, especially when you're raising money. You just realize that that's just venture speak for like I'm not interested. It I is. don't like you know that- we we don't connect. Because how many times have you, I mean, I don't know if you've passed on deals. I have passed on. So the two biggest excuses that a venture firm will give you. Yeah. There is not a market. You are too early. Yeah. If someone says you are too early, that means nothing besides the fact that either they don't understand it, they don't like it, or it just doesn't hit their investment criteria. So for them, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's just a nice way of saying no. Yeah. Yeah. Because venture, I don't know if this was how you, you did it, but. They don't like to say no. They like the soft no. no or the slow no. We used to call they it. They never, slow no. yeah. They never want to say no because they want it to be that if for some reason you start taking off, they have they have a chance to come back, which was inc- like to me just didn't make any sense because I saw a venture as something where I'd rather help these people, and that was the biggest reason that I didn't work out at my last firm was because it was one of those things where they would just stop answering people, and I'm like. That's not how you treat a founder because that's not good for business. And they're like, no, it doesn't matter. And I would set up calls and the partner literally did not go to the call with the founder of companies. And like one of those companies sold for over a billion dollars to Uber this past year. And I'm just like, all you have to do is pick up, pick up the phone, but no. So I really, that was what irked me a lot in venture. And that's something where I still invest and I make sure if I am not interested, or it doesn't work, I tell someone why. Yeah. And it's just pretty simple. Yeah. And it's hard to, to it's hard to hear as a as an entrepreneur, obviously. And yeah. I know the reason why venture guys and gals 
tend to not want to do it because if you're a type A entrepreneur and they say, well, the reason why we're not going to invest in you is because of X, then you go fix X. Yeah. Yeah. Or you, or you fix X and you say, well, what if I fix X? You know, that's not the point. The point is it's not a fit. Don't try to micromanage it. Don't try to microanalyze it. It's nothing about you. And this is just from experience. I'm sure same. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. It's not about- I would love to. Yeah. It's not about you as the entrepreneur. It's just like, it's just not a fit for the firm. And believe me, there's thousands of firms. So it's really just a question. There's so much capital out there today. Yeah. yeah. I I, I would say the one thing that people don't really think about with venture- and the, the best analysis I can give it to is college admissions mm. because it is something that is just so randomized. Mm. It's not based about how great you are. So if at any given day I see 10 pitches, if the top pitch I see is a seven that day, that's what I'm going to show in my weekly meeting if I have, if I have confidence. If one day I have a 10, 9, 8, the 10's going and the 9, 8 aren't only because I can show one there. So yeah. it really is a lot of luck there about who I hear on the same day. Yeah. And that's something that's just really hard to kind of grapple with because it's not your fault for not being the top that day because tomorrow you could have been. Yeah. So it's something where it really is just randomized and it's a lot of luck, but it's something that it's a numbers game. And I've just had to keep telling myself that. And it, it's true. It's just a lot of luck and it's the amount of times you pitch, the amount of times you get better and you will slowly start to just kind of understand everything and find the right match for you. Yeah, no, it's so true. I'm glad you brought that up because I bring that up all the time, you know, young entrepreneurs, well, even some seasoned ones, ones that are their first gig, even though they're older, first first time raising money. And, and I always break it down roughly like this. And again, I'd love your thoughts on this. So I say, okay, a venture partner will get, will we'll like vet 2000 deal, 2000 pitches. They will take 200 meetings. This is in a year. They'll take 200 meetings. They will probably do due diligence on maybe 20 deals. And every year, a partner in a firm has to do two deals. That's sort of the way the model works. So every year they're doing two deals. And then the average time they're on a board is five to seven years. So you can imagine they're roughly always on 10 to 14 boards roughly throughout their career. And that's each partner. So what's the math on that? That's what 0.01% point, you know, like it ain't, it ain't that you're not good. It's just, they're looking at a lot of stuff. (laughs) Was that your, been your experience as being an associate? Yes. I would say the partner doesn't see 2000. I would say the partner only sees 50 to a hundred. Mm, okay. The, the associate will see two to 4,000. Two to 4,000. Okay. Cool. If not more, like I, I was tracking, I hit over 2,000 in a year before just easily. Like wow. even now, like I, I still probably get one to five pitch decks a day. Wow. And that's me not being in the game, like truly as I was. So it's something where there's just so many incredible companies out there, which makes it challenging. Hmm. What what's sort of your criteria for a good pitch? Like if you were just to give some like, let's say your, you know, Zach's top three things to have in a pitch, what what would they be? Pitch deck or actual pitch one-on-one? I would say let, let's start with the deck because a lot of times I, I think 
the deck, like building the deck is the first, the clearly the first step. Um, and I see, I see some, I don't see as many as you do, but I no, see a so, lot. I see, I see several yeah. and I would love to see if, if ours match. <laughs> so <laughs> for me, I, I would say top three, number one being consistency. It should not feel like you took screenshots or copy paste from 10 different sources and just pasted it on a page or made it a slide. Uh, I want to see some level of consistency throughout it, just because if this is how you're going to show your business, it should be in a neat and orderly fashion. And that kind of ties into my number two. I want to see a story throughout it. And I want to make sure that there's a, a clear thought process of what's going on. And then the last thing I would see is really simple. I want to know what you do early. I want to know what the business is. If I walk away from reading your pitch deck and I don't understand what it is, that's a problem. The average VC spends about a minute on a pitch deck. Quite literally a minute, just clicking through, going through the docs end and checking it. And I, I saw that on my side when I was doing it. I see that when I send it out to VCs, when I send my own deck out. So you can see the drop-offs and it's something where you can see when something goes well and when something doesn't. Okay. Yours? So Last yeah. Time. Ooh, mine. Ooh, yeah. Hmm. We're, we're similar. We have an overlap on the story. Um, okay. First and foremost, it needs to have a really solid through line. And the story needs okay. to make sense and pull together. So I, and then I do this for a living. I help, I help tech companies tell their story. So I, I get, I, one, I see a lot of it. And two, I, you know, I'm a story nerd and all that. Everyone yeah. knows I talk about that stuff all the time. But, but to your point about, for me, I, I'm with you. I want to see, I want to know early on, you need to hook me early on, which means I really need to know what you're doing and what your big idea is within the first 15, 20 seconds, preferably within the first one to two slides. I can kind of give you a pass if you've got like slide one and then slide two. But by by the time I get to slide two and slide three, if I if I'm like you, if I don't know what you're doing, I don't have a really clear idea in your in my mind, like, okay, you do this, you've lost me. Um so really powerful. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up too, because story through line consistency matters. And I, and I also think that a lot of people don't put the brags up front. Like they, they warm up. Like I've, I've got, I've got 30 seconds to, or I've got a minute to look at this deck within the first 30 seconds. You need to hook me in so that I ask this question. I always, this is the, what I'm always thinking in my mind. Tell me more. If I, as I, as a storyteller can get you as the investor or the customer to say, tell me more within the first 30 seconds, then I've done my job. So that hook is really important. Um, trying to think if there's some other things. I, I like short decks. I don't like these 30. I mean, they're crazy. Like some of them. <laughs> I know I've seen decks as long as 50. Yeah. And you're like, this is 25 megabyte of, uh, huh? Like beautiful. Don't get me wrong. You probably spent a yeah. lot of money on it, but I, I'm not impressed. So, okay. If, if we were to combine yours and mine, so the, the Zach Jari model for pitch decks will just, it would be consistency of um, kind of voice and formatting. So not yeah. this thrown together stuff, solid through line of story, we need to know what you're doing right away. Like yep. the sooner, the better. 
And then I would think the third would be um, probably, yeah, the get get to the point. Well, get maybe there's only two then. It's like, well, what do you think? What would be the third one combined? I really think it, it, it is a lot of kind of get to the point, make sure that you can hook someone early and just make sure it's consistent. Uh, those are the biggest ones for me. I would say something we're not saying, and I, I'm glad we're not saying it, is seeing that stupid hockey stick graph because I see that on every deck. I don't even look at it. I quite literally do not even look at it. And it's just one of those things. I'm glad you did not say it. Yeah, yeah. I Well, so, so it's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because there is just like the unwritten rule. So at least in my experience, the, the the venture capital people I've talked to, the ones that I've pitched, the ones that have invested in me, as well as the companies I've invested in as well, and and the pe- the players that I yeah. represent. When we look at financials, they're always discounted. Always. No one believes financials, especially pro forma. It's a, really just an exercise in, can you tell a story with numbers? Yes. Because we don't believe it. I literally don't believe it. Even market size. like. I, I remember there was this one deck where they spent three slides going through, here's the Tam, here's the Sam, here's the Psalm. We're really going to go after this. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. Well, well, Just well, show me a number. Yeah, show me well, a number with a billion and it's good enough. All right, right. And a credible number with a billion in it. Because yes. in my mind, I'm looking at this going, big market. It's all I care about. Yeah. You know. And then what's your financial model to see how much money? Are you going to get to $100 million roughly in three to five years? So the only thing I will look at in the financial model, when I look at a model, are the expenses. Yeah. That's it. Because the the first thing that I will go to when I look at any financial model is how much the executive team is paying themselves. Oh, interesting. Because I have seen, and this, I I swear to you, I saw within a, I want to say it was a seed or series A, they were raising $5 million. Okay. There was five executives each taking about 500K each. A year. Whoa. You're off the bat. Seriously? Throw it out. Yeah. What and I was what? like, why would you, why would I ever put half of the money I am giving you to pay yourself? Like I have not paid myself a cent from official and I raised money so far. Yeah. It's one of those things where like, I strongly believe if a founder is truly invested, they do not need to be making 500K a year, especially early stage. Yeah. Because if you're a billion great. dollar company, yeah, 500k. I don't by all means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you you are making it. <laughs> you're making under a million. You should not be paying yourself half, thirty percent, ten percent of what you make. That's a good. That's a very good point because I see that too. I don't know why people think that that's like maybe because hmm. I've seen this. I've seen the uh, when we go through the math, right? And again, yeah. I've done this too. My, my, when I look at the financial model, yeah, one, I look to see how well, you know, there's certain things you can just push numbers in and if it breaks or whatever, but usually it's the thought process of what are the things that you can control? What are the things you can't control? And then I think it's also unit economics, like you brought that up before. So I think that would be the third one. Does the unit economics work? I think, I think those three, I'd say. Hook us in early, consistent story throughout, and does the unit economics work in the market? 
right? Um, maybe that's a good one. I really, that's fascinating. Cause yeah, like you're really going to pay yourself 500 grand. Like, is this a startup or is this like, you're just going to hang out? Do you want like a chauffeur service too? I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why not? I mean, if you can get away with it, I guess, but that's not a good use of investor money in any any stretch of the imagination. No, not at all. So tell me about official, like that original idea you just launched literally yesterday. You were in beta since February. It's now almost, it's well, the end of, it's June now. Tell me a little bit about how you came up with that idea and sort of take me through the process of how you're trying to build that. Yeah. So I, I'll go kind of two-sided on how I came up with the idea. I touched upon the first part already. Churn didn't make sense. So I'm like, okay, I want to move that. I want to incentivize and have a longer LTV with my customer so that I'd rather bet on the length of the relationship because the longer you're with your partner, the longer you're unofficial. So that was kind of on the financial side. I realized that made a lot of sense because what you don't realize is that there's really not much out there for couples today. And we'll go into kind of why a lot of the other ones haven't worked and kind of what we're doing that's different. But we realized that there's not much for after, especially in the dating world. So about 20 years ago, 2% of people met online. Today, it's over 40%. Yeah. So huge. tech is really embedded in dating culture, especially as Millennials, Gen Zs really come up with dating, COVID especially, you're seeing massive bumps. So I knew that made a ton of sense because there's hundreds of dating apps out there, but there's nothing for afterwards. So I'm like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. There's, there's a hole in the market. And then my own personal life, uh, when I was a junior in college, I was studying abroad. So I was in London. My girlfriend at the time was in New York. So we were a long distance relationship and it started out really early. So I actually started dating her while I was abroad. We met like two weeks before I left. So a lot of our early part of the relationship was FaceTime, texting, and really through the phone. So I'm like, okay, I need to remember all these things because obviously if I'm not really spending time with her, I need to at least know everything kind of about her. So I had a notes tab on my phone about her, another one about her family, kind of anything from favorite candy to favorite food, mom's name, et cetera. Hmm. So save that. And then she'd never been to Europe before. So she'd come to visit and kind of the way we would find places is we'd send each other different things we found on Instagram. So if let's say we we're going to Madrid, we'd look through Madrid on Instagram basically and send each other posts, and save it into a folder. The problem with that was that a lot of these places were intact or they didn't have the right location, but the ones that were, she would actually go on her phone on her kind of maps and plot a pin on each one of the locations so that when we got there, we could see what was near us. Hmm. Really fun, really tedious. and didn't make sense, but I applaud her for it and it was super great. So I saw that. And then at the same time, I saw all my friends around me and everyone was in a relationship and everyone wanted to be this kind of perfect couple. So it was something where (laughs) I I was baffled and I was kind of sucked into it too. Everyone wanted to go on the best date. Everyone wanted to have the best sex. Everyone wanted to have the most exciting dating life, show it off on Instagram and all these things. And at the same time, all your single friends are annoyed with you because they're like, I don't care. I want to see you, not you and your partner. Yeah. So I was like, okay, makes sense. So taking all those things, we boiled that down into official. And official's premise and my mission is to help relationships and help relationships be happier and healthier for everyone. Mm-hmm. So what we do off the bat is we let you swipe left and right. 
So it's the same kind of premise that a lot of people see on a dating app like Tinder, where you're swiping left for no and right for yes. But you're not swiping on people, you're swiping on different places, dates, events, and more. So we actually have kind of national and international partnerships. We link you and your partner on the back end, and we let you find things to do together. Because the actual science shows that the number one predictor of a healthy relationship is having date night once a week. Simple, stupid easy, but a lot of people don't do it. So we started out with that factor and then we started to tie in some other things. We brought a therapist on board because one of my key kind of insights, which I've really thought about is in today's day and age, therapy is accepted. Therapy is something that is okay compared to 20 years ago. But couples therapy is, there's still a negative stigma about it. And it's still something that people aren't okay with. And what we realized is that's not going to change for a long time because unlike therapy, where it's seen as self-help couples therapy is this opt-in where if you go to couples therapy, you have a problem, which is unfortunate. So true. So what we're doing is we're actually building in modules and we have partnerships to kind of take data and show couples and give them the tools that they may get in couples therapy without calling it couples therapy, because we call ourselves a social media platform, because when it's called a social media platform, no one questions it. But when it's called couples therapy, you don't want to get on an app for couples therapy because then you have something wrong. Well, yeah, there, there's a huge, uh, uh, what's it called? I'm trying to, my, the words are not, they're escaping me. Is it like a bad karma for that? Like, you're right. Like, oh, you went to couples therapy? Oh, you're towards the end. Like, exactly. You're, 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 this is the last ditch effort, you know, to, to save it. You know, it, it's just so funny. Which is a shame. It is. It is. Well, what's interesting is that the traditionally like church uh, was sort of that, you know, they called it premarital, you know, counseling, right? Yeah. So, what would happen is in, in, in societies with, with big religious component, even back here in the fifties and sixties, and even to a certain degree, sometimes depending your priest would be sort of your premarital couples, you know, counselor, quote unquote, but no one ever thought of it that way. There's like, Oh, we got to get married in a church. We got to go see the priest, you know, like, yeah. why would the priest even know they're like celibate, <laughs> they supposed to, you know, they get you to be, they get you at birth at marriage and death. Like that's their, that's their shtick. Right. Um, yep. And there's a, there's a huge amount of um, barrier, I think, even to normal therapy, like as an example, like going to therapy in terms of like, you have a problem and a challenge. And I, I talk about this all the time. I mean, I go to therapy after my, my wife, Jane died. I had to like, this, this is crazy. Like, how the hell am I going to handle this? Like, no, this is nutty. And I can imagine the, you know, challenges and struggles. In fact, what's interesting is that Jane and I went to couples therapy before we got married because of some other things. And it was a very beneficial thing, even though yeah. it was a little, a little weird. Interesting. So you're sort of trying to, I'm okay. All right. Well, I'll keep going because I want, okay. I, I'm curious I to can, see I'll like, keep walking down. <laughs> let's walk, let's walk down the path. So the, the, the two things we haven't touched upon yet, we touched upon finding fun. We touched upon therapy and embedding that in trying to enhance communication, kind of part of therapy. So we have a check-in feature two prompt question. How do you feel today? How do you think your partner felt today? One to five for each. We don't tell you if you write negative, positive, whatever it is. We tell you if you write that you're a five, you write that your partner's a five, but your partner writes that there are two. 
because we view that you're not on the same page. Mm. If you write that they're a one, they write that they're a one. I don't care. Not my job. Yeah. My job is to help you be on the same page. So that's kind of some of the things that we're doing on the therapy side. And then kind of what we kind of need to go into is kind of this concept of social media, because what we're really trying to do is we're not trying to be a social media platform. My goal is to be a relationship platform. So what that means to me is we want to portray and build a community of people who want to have better relationships. So we allow you to post the dates that you actually go on and we let you do that privately to your friends or publicly. So privately, it's just any date that you want to save. And we build out a timeline of your relationship from whenever you join to whenever you leave official. So this is to really build out kind of your memories and everything that you're doing on official in the app. We have a countdown feature to set kind of dates that you're looking forward to or different things like that. Your anniversary reminds you of things like this. So you never forget an anniversary. And we kind of go in that path. We have this kind of friends, which is similar to an Instagram, where we're actually creating kind of couple influencers to a degree where you can follow different couples and the dates that they go on. And then this last piece is this kind of community piece where we let you share the dates that you go on because you're doing it anyway. We want to allow people to share if they had an incredible date, either at home or outside, wherever they are and post about it. We actually let other users around them swipe left or right on those dates as well, because we can't give you all the ideas. And we know that. So we'd rather kind of tap into the market Kind of and like allow crowd, other people yeah, to build crowdsourced yeah. kind of data. Ideas. And that's kind of one of the big things that no one's ever done before is when you look at any couple app, it's always one-to-one you're targeting the couple. And it's really hard to have virality when you're targeting individual people. But when you're targeting the couple, the couple's friends, the people around them and building a community around it, it's not just targeting couple one, couple two, creating a photo book, couple three, creating a photo book. It's targeting and creating a community and building around this concept of we want to help people's relationships and we want to do it with people who want to have a better relationship too. Hmm. I'm assuming you have to be in a couple in order to be on this. That's so you actually don't. It's one of those things. (laughs) Okay. You, You do, but we don't bar anyone from coming on the platform because we don't find that to be effective. So Mm. if you are single, like we have plenty of people on our team who are single, ironically enough, I'm single. So I know, I know it's kind of one of those things. We won't talk about that. We we, we had enough time. My my mom's mad at me. My investors are mad at me. It's one of those things. Yeah. As your, as your pseudo PR professional publicist, that's going to give advice, you know, uncle Jari is going to be like, bro, get on that. (laughs) I know. So it's one of those things where, you still can do it. You obviously won't have the same experience because you won't be matching on things, but you'll still be able to save any of the dates. You'll still be able to find different things around you, book different things around you and kind of use it the same way you would on Instagram, but actually find new and interesting activities. So that's kind of one of the the benefits if you are single, but it's not designed specifically for single people. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So how come there's not more of these? I wish I could tell you and I'm, I'm ecstatic. It's one of those things where match group bought a company in 2012 that focused on dating and focused on trying to find things around you to do with your partner. Right. It was shut down in 2014. Hmm. It was one of those things where it couldn't keep up because the way that they were focusing on it was everyone in the dating space is focusing on trying to make money by, by matching you or something. Hmm. 
And that is what I think is the biggest flaw is that no one's flipping it to what happens next. And that's, I think the biggest problem is you have social media, you have all these things, but no one's asking this question of what do you do when you're in a relationship? Where do you go when you're in a relationship? Because I have an app for everything else on my phone, whether it's my fitness, whether it's my therapy, whether it's what food I'm eating, anything else, but I have nothing for my relationship. And it's been weird because we've been asked this question a lot and I don't have a good answer to why no one's been working on it. I'm ecstatic that no one's been working on it because we're the first (laughs) ones here and we're just kind of ripping through it. But it's one of those things where people in the past have focused, if it is a couple app, it's on a one-to-one basis, just you and your partner. And I don't think that works in today's day and age because you can't get scale with that. So it's really kind of focusing on the entire picture. And that's why we didn't start by being a photo app. That's why we didn't start by just letting you find things around you because that's not what a relationship is. A relationship is super complex and there's so much to it. And that's why we're excited to kind of try to address the entire thing. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I would rack my brain to figure out why no one's done this before. I re- I remember one, this was like in the mid to 20, well, no, it was like 2010. If I recall, didn't go very far, but Avocado it was similar. Paired. Yeah. I think it was some, one of those where it was just like, just couples, like yeah. you had to be a couple. I wonder why. It's so fascinating. You're right. There's an app for everything else. Why is there not an app for couples? Yeah. Now there is. Now there is. <laughs> now there is. Ah, there you go. Um, wow. So how, how's the launch been? It's been an entire day. Are you like crushing it with the hockey stick or what? Yeah, you know, completely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, it was one of those things where the first time when we launched our beta, we, we knocked out of the park to a degree that was, that was almost bad because when we had our beta back in February, I was interviewed by the mayor of Miami. Uh, we had a TikTok that went viral and we were expecting maybe a hundred people and got over 10,000 a week. And as a tech guy, you know, when you expect for a hundred and you get 10,000 servers don't like that. No, that's like two orders of magnitude that, that gives you a, that gives you a heart attack. <laughs> my, my guess well, is shit melted down. It did. Uh, Our our AWS server thought it was under a DDoS attack and stopped authenticating users, which led us to shut down almost entirely, which was so much fun to deal with. Yeah. So it was one of those things where we learned that we kind of went around that. We went viral again. We went viral in Europe. We don't operate in Europe. So we threw up a wait list back in May, had people from 52 different countries reach out to us, asking us when they can get official in their country. And we're like, okay, let's take a step back. Let's go slow. So yesterday we sent out texts to all of the previous users, anyone who's actually downloaded the app, used the app in the past. And now today we sent out emails to all the people there, as well as anyone who's been on our wait list. And then tomorrow we start with our first push of influencers. And then Monday we start with the rest of influencers to really make sure that everything's good, everything's working and kind of keeping it consistent and okay. Yesterday we had, I want to say 500 people redownload the app, get on the platform again which for day one, I'm fine with one of those things. So it's the whole uh, crawl, walk, run, man. Like so many times with what my specialty is IOT and smart home, hardware, software stuff without fail. 
we always have to do this crawl, walk, run, because like when you have a device and you're trying to connect it to the internet and, you know, things kind of go the way they go, you don't know what you don't know. It's so complex. And for an app, it's the same thing. You can have a little more scale, but it's very, yeah. it's a very smart move because yeah, like catch the tidal wave. Oh shit. It's a tsunami. I can't, I'm not, yeah, I'm what? in a dinghy, <laughs> ah, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's one of those things where now we, we feel confident. We've stress test everything on the platform. Yeah. Every we, one of the like a month ago, someone tried to like hack into a blockchain of ours. We we shut that down. We had to redo that. So it, it's just been a fun time where we've tested a lot now. Yeah, no, it's I think so, that's a great experience and a great story. Um, careful what you wish for. Like yeah. virality is not something that you want to have if you're not ready for it because. No. It, complex systems break. I, I don't care how good you are. Like I've seen this in billion dollar companies where a little bit of scale, a little bit more people push the wrong buttons and world stops. And you're like, well, what just happened? <laughs> you know? Um, so it's good. Good on you. So, so what advice would you give um, the next generation of entrepreneur coming up? I mean, you've had some pretty awesome experiences given how young you yeah, are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah. What, what would you tell someone coming up? I would say the biggest thing is there's always going to be that next big startup. There's always going to be something incredible and it could be you. Uh, it's one of those things where when I was deciding whether to do official or not, uh, I used Jeff Bezos's framework of kind of regret minimization. What am I going to regret the least on my deathbed? And to me, it was something where I had to just try official. And there are so many times where I was like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I should stop. Every time either I pushed through or someone else around me was like, okay, cut that shit out, keep going. And I'm ecstatic that I did. And I would say my biggest advice is that it's going to be so much harder than you could ever imagine, but it is so worth it on the days it works. Yeah, that's so true. So true. Just, I love that. What am I going to regret the least? That's a great, great way to go. Zach, man, we could be talking for hours about this. <laughs> it's so cool. So, you know, good luck with everything. It's awesome. You know, f- you know, fresh launch, feeling the vibe and the energy, just so cool and stay safe, stay in touch and really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Zach, 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 Zach. Thank you so much for that great interview. Lots of great tips on investing in your new journey with official as an entrepreneur. Super cool, right? So as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from my conversation with Zach. In your pitch deck, be consistent and organized and tell a clear, coherent story. The viewer has to come away with a clear idea of what you do within the first 30 seconds. Now, we always talk about this. This is your big idea. And always you want to have that question in someone's mind say, oh, they listened to your 10 second, 20 second pitch. See your first couple slides. You want them to go, oh, uh, tell me more, right? That's the most important thing to answer for a prospect. Be mindful and realistic about numbers. Make sure that you charge for what you're offering can sustain and grow your business. So you never want to like make it up with volume. So make sure the unit economics is there. That's a really easy one to kind of get in the weeds on. And a lot of people, they'll just do the math. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Now, 
doesn't mean that some growth opportunities you don't, you know, you may or may not make margin, but make sure the unit economics works out. Know who or what you're competing with, even if it's not a direct competitor. Saying you have no competition is a massive red flag for investors. And that is 100% true. If there's no competitors, there's no market, there's no market, there's no exit, then why are you doing this? So instead of not quote unquote having competitors, you need to look at what you're offering, your service, your hardware, software, whatever, what job it's trying to do, what pain it's trying to solve, right? Um, Everything has got a competitor. And if it doesn't, it's honestly not worth doing that. And believe me, I can tell you this from firsthand experience, built plenty of technology that was looking for a problem to solve. So don't make my mistake. So there you go. There are the actionable insights I learned from Zach, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.